0: Uh, can I encourage you to just move up a little bit, and let's let's be personal and, and actually talk to one another, because we're going to just have a, a grill the past, I mean a Q&A time this morning. Um, so just come on up, and we're doing this by request. Uh, some of you have asked us to do this on occasion, so this is one of my favorite things to do. There we go. See, this is a more intimate crowd. That way those who are late can feel really conspicuous, too, as they, so... all right well let's let's go ahead and pray and then uh we will get started we'll keep this pretty informal i will i will give um one potential topic for you to ask questions about and then you can do anything else uh, you want as well um so let me get someone else to pray um bob you want to pray for us this morning sorry but yeah bob collins (laughs) Amen. So one topic you don't have to ask questions about this, and it's a little bit of a peripheral issue, but it's something we're starting to try to uh, build some uh, awareness of, and that's the topic of uh, church facilities, because we need one. And we're, we're going to need to, to look at that in the near future. But it involves some philosophical thoughts. There are people on the one hand who say a church doesn't exist unless it's in a building. We know that's not true. And others who go the other way that say, well, churches don't need buildings. That's true, but they're very useful. And so the, the useful truth is somewhere in the middle. So if you have any questions about that thinking philosophically, um, then th- this would be a good forum to ask those, and we'll, we'll get more into it in the coming months as we uh, begin to announce some things to the whole church. But we can start laying the philosophical groundwork now as well. So, uh, but any other topic is open. I would remind you that uh, you have, you have uh, brought on the pastor of average intelligence that I will do my best. <laughs> um, I'm still learning God's Word every week when I study. I always have this dawning moment of realization that I should have known this already, and I didn't, so uh, we're all learning together. But why don't we do this? Let's, uh, let's start over here on this side, and then we'll kind of bounce back and forth So make sure uh, that we get everybody an opportunity. So anybody over here? Yes, Daryl, hey, waving at me. Ben, are you, where's Ben? He's right here. You want to talk about you right in front of everybody? What do you think? Uh, yes. There's, um, uh, my criteria and the criteria we've brought here has specifically to do with giftedness. And at this point, the giftedness that everybody on the planet has seen in Ben is a deacon. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a good deacon, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm, I'm better either at the top of the food chain or the very bottom. I work well in, in both of those. I'm fine taking orders completely. Um, it's, a, it's a unique position. Uh, when I got here, one of the deals that, that I had was I'm starting with a clean slate. That included Mark and Grant, and we've gone through a time of, of – uh, uh, me getting to know them, getting to know their giftedness, and that sort of thing. W- me, along with Grace Advance, um, we we might say we sort of reconfirmed their eldership. Um, but I specifically also said w- I wasn't bringing on any new elders for at least two years uh, when I got here. Just simply because it takes that amount of time to get to know guys, to to train them up, um, to get them going. So that's where that is. And, and I don't know what the future holds. I mean, we need more leaders. Um, that's certainly clear. Um, but no, there's, uh, Ben wasn't demoted or anything like that. That's not the case at all. So, do you feel demoted? No. No? And if I could explain myself. Please do, yes. I just feel more led to be a deacon. I feel more comfortable in that role than an elder. Yeah. I didn't have a problem. Because I'm always told this to the elders anyway, whatever they think, you know. I appreciate that. And that's true. That's good. Yeah. Oh, the church politics is always so fun, isn't it? All right. What other, what other questions? We'll stay on this side. We'll do one more on this side, then we'll boing over here. You guys are very uninquisitive. Oh, yes. I need for new Mm hmm. You know, um, a combination of prayer, wisdom, what have others done, um, what statistically is useful. Like, for example, in this room, if we really packed them in, we can, I think, legally seat 320, something like that. I don't remember the exact number. If we did a three-year building campaign to build a new building to seat 400, that would be an absolute travesty of stewardship. That would be silly, um, so generally a a a very broad rule of thumb is plan on doubling your space that 's very broad, um, but we don 't know again what we 're doing is we 're trying to we 're not presuming that the Lord is going to do something what we're what we 're doing is trying to respond to what he 's already doing and move in progressive steps that are that are big enough to be useful, but small enough not to presume upon God. Um, in other words, if I came to the congregation and said, we're going to take out a loan for $30 million and build a 90-acre campus, no, I don't think you're going to d- support that. Um, it'd be tw- take us 50 years to get there anyway. It'd be a whole new church. Um, so a good rule of thumb is to start with doubling. Um, that that thought. One possibility that's on the table that we are, we are seriously considering um, is the option of uh, purchasing the Boys and Girls Club and using that space as well, which is exactly the same size as this building here. So that that's just a rule of thumb that we're kind of looking at. And frankly, it depends on what the Lord provides too. If he provides a bucket load of money, then we'll spend it. And if he provides less than that, then we'll spend what we have. So yes, Bob. Yes. Boy, that's a great question. Um, I'll tell you, what, I'll tell you what, the, what the law says, not the law, I'll tell you what banks say, and I'll tell you what the Bible says, okay? Uh, what the banks say is that uh, since 2008, before 2008, a church could put down like 0.0001% and uh, borrow the rest. Now they want 50%. In other words, if we're going to buy a million dollar building, they want $500,000. And I frankly, I'm, I'm great with that. I think that's good that 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 gets us a good start Uh, as far as what the Bible says the Bible makes no mention of the church as a whole whether it's okay to go in debt or not Um, uh, obviously debt is not something you want to make a lifestyle sometimes it is a tool Uh, how many of you here had to go into debt to buy a house I mean I think that's pretty much all of us Uh, if you if you wait until you save up for it you, you know well, just go straight to the nursing home, because you don't have time anymore. Um, I actually, I, I, this bothered my conscience for a long time years ago, so I did a kind of a 40-page paper for my own study on whether a church should go into debt or not. And what I, the conclusion I came to is that it is not a sin issue, it is a wisdom issue. Um, a, a church that is currently paying $1000 a month in rent for a building if they go into debt and their payment is $8000 a month that's unwise if a church is paying like we are thousands of dollars every month and we took out a loan that actually would mathematically make us uh, cash flow wise paying less a month that's doable because we have a history, we also, we also analyze this by the, uh, the spiritual state of the congregation. Um, if you have a congregation that is spiritually weak, that is uh, um, uh, very flexible, and that's a good word meaning that, that people come and go all the time, uh, if they're very, um, you can't count on them. That's, that's troublesome. I don't want to go into a debt with, with a congregation like that because basically we're, we're all saying together that we're going to stick through this thing. Um, if you have a, a pastor who has been in eight churches in 10 years, I'm not going into debt with that guy at the, at the helm. Um, if you have a leadership that's constantly bickering and fighting amongst themselves. So really what we're looking at is what is the spiritual foundation? If it's solid, if we, if we believe that the Lord is doing something wonderful in that we're growing in depth and we have a group of men, like how many of you guys were at BTI Friday night for our, our men's, men's time? I mean, that was, you look around, that's a solid group of guys. And so it's a wisdom issue. And I think that's where and I love the fact that the, that the banks make us have fifty percent of the cash. That that tells us that we've gotten halfway and that we'll will by the Lord's grace get there. I really appreciate your answer. I hope that's helpful. It's a spiritual foundation. It really is it. So and if there's a billionaire that happens to come here, that wouldn't hurt anything either. But actually it would. I'll tell you what, people ask me this, they, they, we joke about this, but if somebody came to me and said, I will personally fund an entire new facility, I would say, thank you, but not yet. Yeah. We want everybody to be involved. You would be devastated. If we said, guess what, we, we've been given a whole new facility, you would be devastated, I promise you, because it's, it's the one, one of the rare times in our Christian walk that we get to give money to the ministry and see something tangible for it. Usually what you're giving to is to hear words, like me talking, and that just, those just go out into the air, and you can't touch it and feel it. So it's, it's a rare opportunity. Great question, Bob. Thank you. All right, so that brought us to this side. Let's do another question on this side. Anybody want to ask about Ron Vietti? <laughs> Does the Bible shed any light for or against life outside of Earth? What a great question uh, it doesn 't directly say there 's no life anywhere else. You know I, don't, you know, the, the, I guess there 's the theoretical possibility that some algae exists somewhere else. Um, does Is there any possibility of uh, intelligent humanoid like life somewhere else? Absolutely not. there can 't be. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world, meaning the earth, that he gave his only son. Uh, because now you, you have exploded our whole system of soteriology. You've exploded, um, you know, uh, Roman, or, uh, Revelation saying, then there was the new heavens and the new earth and the new Mars. You know, now you have to add some, some scripture, uh, add something to scripture. So I think, um, I don't even think the Bible needs to explain that. I think it's, it's, it's along the lines of the Bible never explains the existence of God. In a couple of places, it said if you don't believe in God, you're a fool. But other than that, so I, I think it presupposes that there is not life anywhere else. And what's so funny is that scientists are desperately hoping to find life somewhere else um, because that would validate their thinking that, well, maybe evolution will happen again here. So even if, let's say they discovered some primitive form of algae on Venus. Well, no, Venus doesn't have, you can't do that. But let's say on some planet. It doesn't make any difference. It means that something's growing on a rock, and it doesn't make any difference. It's to the glory of God, and um, so no, the, the, the universe was built as the cradle for the earth. So, yeah, Ben, and then we'll go over here. In the third heaven, that's right. Absolutely. But it was it was put there by God. So in Greek MacArthur <laughs> preached on that. He makes it right. you <Rick>. say earth, cosmos means creation. It does. So the context of that is you've got creation and you've got salvation. People have a hard time making those two meet so so Carthage. He made it governments. I don't understand that sway because for me cosmos means creation. And creation fell because the Deed fell. Mm-hmm. God has to restore the Deed to restore creation, and that's what He's about. Right. So, what, let me re, let me rephrase uh, Rick's question. We'll take the we'll take the Latin out of it too. Um, God was God made man in His image, and so let's let's put that fact up here for a moment. Um, John three sixteen. For God so loved the cosmos, the creation. Uh, first of all, and I understand that technically that refers to all of creation, um, but in practical terms, if you ask uh, if you ask a Greek reader at the time what does cosmos mean, he'd say the earth we're standing on. Um, practically speaking, um, and so his point is, and it's a good point, that to restore the fallen creation. Um, what, what, is, what is creation waiting for? The presentation of the sons of God. He has to restore men to not only be in the fallen type of image of God that we are right now, but in the restored image of God, perfected, glorified, uh, completely made brand new. Then all of the universe will be restored, and we, you know, that's the remaking of the new heavens and the new earth eventually. So, uh, so, yeah, logically, you come that theologically from that standpoint, uh, it, the universe has fallen, but it, it's focused on the earth, and the men who live on the earth and the redemption of men is what will bring restoration to the whole universe. Great point. Yeah, men. Yeah. Yeah, theoretically, if there were people on other planets, his death was still sufficient for them too. But uh, there's not. This is this is the cradle of his uh, of his kingdom. So, Lita, is this a question or a thought? We're, we're taking questions. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes. Um, on a personal level I hope we get to a point that I don't know everybody's name and that's simply this that means more people are coming to faith in Christ that means that our ministry is expanding and growing now that that doesn't take away the responsibility of the shepherd and we have uh, we have a multi multi multi-armed plan for continuing shepherding and I'll put it this way too um there's there's a there i in fact i know a guy who pastors in the midwest who he says 75 people that's the cutoff and at that point they'll plant another church and that's totally fine the problem is is that um and i actually heard him talk about this that they had a sunday where they had like 30 new people come all at once and now they went way over their 75 mark and his dilemma was okay uh, who do i tell has to leave now because they were all having a great time. They were enjoying the fellowship. It was exciting to be together. And so now he's at this crossroads um, having to tell everybody, well, we're done. We have to leave. So he changed his philosophy. He's learning to, to adjust. Um, for me personally, I will always do my best to get to know everybody I can. But the responsibility we have is for everybody to have the opportunity to be shepherded at an intimate, personal level. Um, and there's two two big parts to that. First one is just... Just getting Bible knowledge, knowing theology, that is so important. You can have all the wonderful small groups and fellowships and potlucks you want, but if you're not teaching people theology, they're not growing. They're not going to grow. So the great thing about that is you can do that in a huge group. We do that for sermons. We do it in BTI. Um, uh, Our plans for a new facility include... Um, have you ever anybody here had to ever go to a professional conference where you have those, those fun little conference tables and you have the, the snacks on the table and it's built for learning? Um, we want to have some rooms that are able to do that, to accommodate large numbers of people who can sit down, bring laptops, bring Bibles, bring notebooks, pens, and really learn. So learning theology and being discipled is the first part of shepherding. But the second part is the life-on-life involvement, And the second part, we would divide into two categories also. So if you can picture this, we have two categories here and then two under the second category. The two categories of life-on-life discipleship would be the structured side and the organic side. Or for you men who just read the book, it would be the trellis side and the vine side. The structured side would be the... the, um, I hate this word, but it's for lack of a better one, the programs we put in place. Um, Small group ministry, uh, even our our BTI small groups that we break up into. Um, Ministry teams, if you're working together for a a particular uh, goal, if you're cleaning the church, there's two families up here, I would encourage you to get together and, and pray. And let's, before we clean, let's pray for a moment and let's, let's be life on life. Um, every way that we can uh, organize people being together. And I think, you know, for me, my favorite one is small groups. It really is. It's just intimate. Um, you're not, even in this setting here, you know, you're, you're all looking at me instead of looking at each other. And that's not really all that intimate for you. It's just, it's fun for me. Uh, but for the rest of you, it's not that intimate. So there's the structured side, setting up some ways to do this. And, and one of the reasons I'm so intent on getting as many men through BTI as possible is I want them to be small group leaders. I want them to have groups in their home that they're ministering to and shepherding. And just the, as an example, you know we're telling our small groups, if somebody in your group is having a baby or somebody is ill or somebody is in sin, your group is the one that deals with that. you shepherd them and we we will have hopefully put trained men in there to be able to do that that's the structure side the other side the organic side the vine side uh, would be simply training a congregation that all of you should be looking around and meeting needs that as you as you see somebody okay she's been here three times I've never seen her talk to anybody let's go get her lunch Let's go minister to her. Let's go find out how she's doing. Um, one of the things I pray for is to, is for all of you to grow in your mindset of praying with somebody at the moment. Somebody shares with you, yeah, I'm not, not doing too well. Well, could I pray with you about that? And just learning to do that because it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. So the organic side is uh, that, that's I think that's from the top down from the leadership. This is probably way more than you want. But what I mean by that is I've, uh, I, I preached in a church once in England and they were precious people, but they didn't have a clue about the, uh, uh, the organic side of ministry. It was a church of 50 people and I'll bet it was empty in 20 seconds. I said, amen, pulling my notes together, getting ready to greet people, and it's empty. They're, all, they're gone. I've also visited churches with thousands of people that you can't get them out, that they love each other and they're involved and they know each other. And if you're committed long enough in a church, even that's large, um, you will get to know literally hundreds of people, and it's very rich. So um, that's probably more than you want. Uh, there isn't a biblical number, though. Uh, we take what the Lord gives us. Uh, 1 Peter 5 says, Shepherd the flock of God among you. It's up to the Lord who is among us. So good question. You have a follow up? Let me get to Don, then I'll go back. How big is the kitchen gonna be? <laughs> as big as you want it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm asking you, what are five, if you want to go beyond that great, for us to begin praying for, the building blocks, the foundation, each brick that goes on, praying for leadership as one, but what would you ask us to do in five plus areas that we can pray for as we move towards making that decision? Let's, let's go ahead and presuppose a few things that we won't include in the five. Uh, presuppose uh, unified leadership. Presuppose uh, pure moral leadership. Um, presuppose a, a unified church mission and vision together. Um, presuppose that we're doing what we're supposed to do spiritually. We are evangelizing the lost. Uh, we are exalting the Savior and we are equipping the saints. Those are the three E's of ministry, by the way. Um, so we'll presuppose those. But as far as top five, um, <clears throat> money? Money? No. We'll, uh, we, we need funding. And, and, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't talk about money in the church. I, the reality is is that, that money drives ministry. It has always been that way. It always will be that way. Jesus had groups of people with him giving money to them and to the disciples to support their ministry. How do you think they ate? They didn't just, well, sometimes they did go through the fields and gather, but... Um, It it takes money. So we would, would, uh, funding. The second prayer, though, this would almost be 1A, would be um, joyful funding. I don't ever want anybody to give a nickel that they aren't just excited about. Um, So we would say joyful funding. The third would be, I think along the lines of Kathy's question, great wisdom in uh, facility choice and or design. My personal first choice is to start with a, with a, piece of dirt and put something on it that matches our ministry. So uh, wisdom as far as uh, design or choice. Uh, The fourth one would be, because this involves things like city codes and buying things and um, dealing with unbelievers, uh, we want to pray for favor. We want to pray for uh, even unbelievers to just think, "I, I need to I need to help Grace Bible Church get where they're going. I don't know why, but I just need to. So, so favor with unbelievers. And then the fifth thing, uh which is really maybe we should put it number 1, is I want to pray for those yet to come to faith in Christ who will spend their whole Christian life at Grace Bible Church and be buried there. That's my prayer. That may be a little bit idealistic, but those would be my top 5. Praying for those yet to be. So, yes, and then back to Daniel's follow-up. <laughs> okay. Yes. Are we recording this? I hope so. Um, I'll I'll give you a very short answer and I'll tell you why. Uh, Next week I'm going to spend two services preaching two rebuttals to him. And the only reason I would do that is because he specifically challenged his huge congregation to come after us to come after Grace Bible Church and Sovereign Grace and Living Grace and other churches that are uh, Calvinistic in their uh, beliefs. But uh, just to, very briefly, my premise with him will be, and I'm going to name his name because I, 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 he's not going to change you know, unless the Lord does something spectacular, and I'm not concerned with him changing. I'm concerned with all the people who think they're in a Bible church, um, and so I'm going to ask everybody, uh, once we get those two messages done, to, to uh, tweet them, post them, send them out everywhere. Um, we're also going to do an article, an actual written article, so that you, if somebody does uh, come and say, hey, I go to, you know, a mega false church, and I need, to, uh, I, I need to confront you, just hand them an article and say that. I think, you know, I've asked around, I've actually just asked people I don't even know, do you know about Valley Bible Fellowship? Yeah, they do. And it's known in the community. You know what the reputation is? The reputation is of a church of wonderful people who, who uh, love each other, love God, and are active in the community. Um, the people in the church have a wonderful reputation. And, and so I hurt for them. I heard for them that they are, they're being misguided and not shepherded. But the, one of the reasons that we're going to go ahead and address this, and I'm sure others already have, um, there's a church I've never heard of in Montana that preached a message against... Uh, did you tell me about that? Was that oh, was, yeah, well, somebody. And and uh, mentioned Grace Bible Church, too, which was really funny. Um, I had no idea how they knew about this. But the reason we're, we're going to respond is that he didn't attack Calvinism. What he attacked was the biblical gospel. Um, and, and if you look at all the things that they preach there, all the things that they believe, first of all, they are not Trinitarian. Uh, they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe they're modalists, which means that God um, wears three different suits, that sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, sometimes he's the Spirit, which is really interesting because I always want to know who Jesus was praying to um, when he was on earth. Uh, from uh, an eyewitness account of Ron Vietti saying, I don't believe in the Trinity, and also looking at their doctrinal statement, it's, it's slippery, but it's a modalist statement. It's not a Trinitarian statement. Um, but if you go through everything that he believes, uh, basically, this is, a, this is a church with thousands of people that is proclaiming a false gospel. And so we have to stand for it. I know we're just Little Bitty Grace Bible Church, but somebody has to say something. And it'll be said elsewhere, but I want to say it in his backyard and let him know that it's there. Um, He's he's a guy who, uh, interestingly, as I've asked people, what's the reputation of the church? The reputation of Ron Vietti himself is totally different. Um, I've heard words, and I'm quoting, not making these up. I've heard words like clown, buffoon, idiot, um, and that, you know, that that hurts me because he stands in a pulpit and presupposes to proclaim the word of God, and I don't ever want to see anybody characterizing those terms uh, who is supposing to do that. So, but we will respond in detail next week. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and you know. Uh, d- deceived people don't always know they are and they're often very sweet and they have a genuine motive but how many of you here and i'll, I'll get to uh, i'll get to francisco's question in a minute how many of you here can recall the moment you heard sound teaching for the first time anybody recall that moment yeah it's like whoa what have i been missing and that's where they are that's where they wouldn't be there if they hadn't if they if they had had that moment already and once you cross that line, you can't ever go back. You know, it's like you've been eating baby food your whole life. Mmm, peaches, prunes, love this. You're 17. And you still say, well, I love this. It's all you know. And somebody slides a sirloin across to you. Okay, no more prunes. We're done. Yeah, exactly. Francisco. Uh, yes, speaking about growth, um, what are you allow to start with Spanish? Yeah, we're excited about that. Yeah, um, so let me make sure I'm, I'm hearing your question right. If if unbelievers are start coming, which they already are, we have several that come on a regular basis, and that's fine. If they start coming, how are we going to prepare to deal with that? Um, first of all, so let's let's go through this. Um, there is a discipleship process that we're very intentional about, and it's it's never as good as you want it to be. I mean, it, it, until you have you know thousands of people, you can't make it this. Well, oil machine. The process is, is very simple. Uh, if, if we could fill our seats with unbelievers, that would be fine with me. Um, now, we're not going to pander to them. What we're going to do is make them feel very, very convicted with the gospel we're going to proclaim the gospel to them and then love them like crazy we're not going to pander to them we're not going to tell them oh you're fine everything's good we're going to hopefully have them in the depths of despair in terms of their own sin and wondering why are these sweet people loving me like this why are they taking me to lunch why are they inviting me to their small groups and let them see the love of Christ in us Um, Jesus said that people would know that we are Christians, we are his disciples because of our love for one another and certainly that means to them as well. So that's why we've been working very hard on our guest care system uh, where people, when they walk in that door for the first time, they are going to be cared for, they're going to be nurtured, they're going to be cherished and hopefully know that. Then our goal is to get them um, into some sort of discipleship process. Get them to BTI. Just come, tell them, come listen. Just just be there and kind of get freaked out. Three hours of uh, theology, that's weird. Um, get them to FOF. It's my hope that we always have a Sunday school class that's FOF that's going, and then one or two small groups are FOF as well, um, Fundamentals of the Faith. And just let them let them start learning and growing. And um, it's fine to invite unbelievers to FOF. Theology is how you come to faith in Christ. You learn who God is. And so, um, so we invite them there. Uh, if, if by God's grace they get saved, they'll have an instant hunger for the word and they'll be here every Sunday, every Sunday night. They'll be uh, starting a BTI. So our job is to do two things. Evangelize the lost, at least proclaim the gospel to them. We'll let the Lord do the work. And then have an opportunity for discipleship. I think a church that emphasizes only discipleship or only evangelism is, is trying to like cut a coin in half and only have one side of it. You gotta have both sides. Great question. Yes, Henry. Yeah. How do you, in dealing, how do you convey that? Like in dealing with 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 the church, like Ron Vietti's church, because that's what when, when they come to us, you say you're being judgmental. I, that's easy. Yeah. No, I'm not being judgmental. I'm simply presenting what Scripture says about what your pastor said. There you go. Um, I'm presenting what the Bible says that what he says doesn't fit scripture. So you have to make a choice. Uh, does Ron Veady believe he's apostle or are you going to believe scripture over him? Um, what I'm going to, uh, if if the Lord allows me next week, I'm going to encourage anybody who hears him to just be a Berean from the book of Acts, to search the scriptures for yourself and and be diligent. And when somebody makes a statement from the pulpit, like, there's only three places in the New Testament that speak of hell. Okay, go find them. Go find them. Find the three. Well, there's like dozens. And, and some super direct, some less direct. Um, I kind of got in the soapbox. We're going to talk about this extensively tonight, our service tonight. But what you tell them is, um, ask them, first of all, where in the Bible does it say, do, where does it say, do not judge? And then find the context well, Matthew 7, when Jesus says this, he says, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, what is this speaking of? This is speaking of a hypocrite who says, I'm going to point out all the evil in somebody else and, and I'm not going to do anything in my own life. Context is everything. So what he's saying is don't be a hypocrite. Don't be somebody who just points out everyone else's wrongs without looking in the mirror. Because what does he say? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus never said, do not judge. What he said was, don't judge until you are endeavoring to live a holy life. Then, what does Paul say, do we not judge amongst ourselves? That we are, absolutely. This is why, this is why the, um, the, the admonition to leaders in the church is to live a life that's above reproach so that I have something to say. If you see me yelling at my wife and screaming at her and telling her to get in the car, get home, we're gonna do what I say and this and that, next time you see me in the pulpit, you'll be like, I can't listen to this guy. This, Jesus never says, and you can tell him this, Jesus never said, don't judge. He said, don't judge until you're living a holy life where you can honestly in humility um, point out a speck in someone else's eye. And by the way, that gives us how to do that. You're very, very humble. You say, I know I've got forests in my own eye and I'm working on it and the Lord is helping me. I'm concerned for you though. There is a speck in your eye. Is it okay if I tell you about it? And you're very humble that way. But if somebody comes and says, Jesus said, don't judge. No, he didn't. He said, don't judge until you're living the holy life. Then judge. So, yeah, Kathy. Are there two concepts of judgment because we know that God is the only one who judges? So yes. <clears throat> Yes, uh, the judgment we're talking about here is seeing somebody who is living a life that is clearly not pleasing to the Lord, and we're making that judgment. Um, Paul even said we don't judge unbelievers because they're they're acting like unbelievers. Don't ever get frustrated when an unbeliever acts like one. That's what they do. You know, you, you can even congratulate them. Well, you're at least at least you're consistent with your nature. But what we're talking about is with among believers. That we look out for one another. We admonish each other. I mean, we need this. We need to, we need to see one another and to, um, to help each other. This is why fellowship of the body is so important. Our gathering together is not just for worship. It is also, according to Hebrews 10, to encourage one another to love and good deeds. And so the judgment of God is very, it's, it's more simple to explain. It is he judges our sin and we must pay for that sin. Either we, we apply the payment that Christ made when we go to heaven or we pay for it ourselves for eternity, um, which is one of the reasons I believe in limited atonement. That's another issue. So does that make sense, sort of? Okay. Yes, Shannon. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. That I'm praying for that. Um, now, uh Second language ministries, I've been deeply involved with that uh, at other levels uh, in, in Asian churches. That's, that's what I did in seminary. Was uh, the, I, First I was at a Korean church, then at a Chinese church, and, and when I was at the Chinese church, they were joking, you're going to go Japanese next, and then, and, uh, but that was just to help. It's a very complex issue. It's not as easy as, as you would think because what can happen is you have a church within a church, and we want to try hard to avoid that. My dream and hope is that any Spanish ministry we have, a major part of the ministry is teaching English as a second language um, to those and get them able to hear preaching in English and understand it. Um, that would always be a goal for me. But yeah, absolutely. Because this is a, a wonderful Hispanic community here. And, and um, I'd rather them hear the gospel here than not hear it somewhere else. Way in the back, Mrs. Woodward. No, it's totally different. It is very much a church within a church, um, and uh, but they are, they're encouraged to inculcate themselves into the whole church body. And one of the ways they do that, interestingly, if I remember right, uh, once a year, the Spanish ministry sponsors a church-wide fellowship. It's great. It's like the best night of the year there because there's, there's burritos and tacos. It's <laughs> It's fabulous, and um, so they they encourage it. It takes work, though. You have to be intentional. We have to have fellowship time together. Gabe and then Rudy. Yeah. Like the yeah. Exactly. Um and, and as it grows then then you let it grow. The only reason we do it on a Sunday is because we have more space available to do that. Rudy. Yeah, we need to be in prayer as a body because it is a command to go to every private nation because that's how it's gonna be heaven, right? So that we have soft ours that we are called to reach out to every kind of people that has a seat. That's true. And and here's the thing. Whether we like it or not, culture matters and culture is an issue. Uh, there are congregations I can preach to and be appreciated. There are other congregations I can go to and they would think I was a fruitcake. Not because they believe anything differently, but because I'm so different than them in the way I was raised. And so the, the way I like to think about this is we minister to to our culture and to cultures that are close and that are similar. And then these cultures that are close and similar should take the, gospels to the gospel to the ones that they are, can get close to. And you have kind of links in a chain. Um, uh, my, my dad just as an example he was a he was a lifelong student of uh, world missions that was his hobby he had the strangest hobbies but he had books and books on all these statistics and he would talk about people i'd never heard of and um, did this the whole time i was growing up he grew up in a very traditional missionary mindset Here's the traditional missionary mindset. You go to the Bible college, you get married, and when you're pregnant with your first baby, you go to Zambia, and you spend 50 years there. You know, that's, that's what you do. It takes a decade to get yourself accepted by, by the culture. And the conclusion he came to is that that is one of the most ineffective ways to do ministry. The most effective way to do ministry is to send guys for two weeks or six weeks or a year to train indigenous pastors and let them do it they were raised there they were born there um, infinitely more effective uh, we well, you were sending uh mark and jess stuckey to brazil where was he raised in brazil you know he's as american as we are but he was raised there and um it's fun to hear him speak portuguese too it's really cool kind of neat language but yes absolutely uh the main our main calling is um our, our neighbors, you know, that's where we start, and then we, we can expand from there. I love that. Uh, Henry, and then Roger. Part B to my judgment question. Oh. i will do it quickly. What do you say also to people? The other trend that I've seen, there's, there's a lot of Christians that do works here. They buy turkeys on Thanksgiving. hmm Yes, Saint Francis of Assisi said that. Uh, the word for proclaim the gospel in the New Testament means to open your mouth and say something. Um, that whoever boy, Francis did some wonderful things, but he should have been shot for that one because uh, we are to proclaim the gospel with words. The gospel is a message. It's not. It's I'm going to live a life before you, and and we'll just pray that people ask, well, boy, you're so different. That can happen on occasion. How about you just go to somebody and, and ask about their suppositions about God? Ask them what's going to happen when they die. Ask them when they face God, what are you going to say? Um, I'm fine with turkey giveaways and all that. Do it for the gospel, though. Um, do, it, do it for a real gospel purpose. At least put a tract in. Um, this is the thing about churches is we try to do so much sometimes that we do a lot of things badly instead of doing a few things well. And so I think often it's a choice between doing what is good and doing what is great. And my choice would always be I'd rather feed people the Word of God. Um, love to feed them food, too. Um, uh, this is a little-known secret, but one of my dreams and hopes is that through our church, we can have our own ministry to the homeless. Now, before you think, oh, that's, that sounds great. Oh, that's tough. That is the hardest of all ministries. Uh, it's dangerous, too. So it takes a lot of work. But um, yeah, Uh, giving away a turkey has never brought anybody to Christ. Giving away a turkey, making friends with them and inviting them into your life and inviting them to know Christ, that has saved people. So where were we? Roger, you had a question. Uh, I imagine a thorough answer might take hours, but can you offer some quick advice on witnessing to Muslims? Sure. Make friends with them. Make friends with them. Let them see that you're, you don't hate them as human beings. Let them know that how wonderful people they are because they've been created in the image of God. And then you begin to ask them, would you be willing to have a dialogue uh, about um, about your faith? I'd love to hear about your faith. Would you like to hear about mine? And you, you can be safe that way because you know they'll never convert you but the power of the gospel is such that uh, they can be converted but you have to make friends with them it it takes it takes time it takes effort Um, uh, being confrontational doesn't work because they've been taught their whole life that uh, that bad people and the uh, the heathens they are going to confront you they're going to be bad they don't know what to do with somebody who's friends with them um, and then give them some materials, you know, say, hey, can, I'll take something that you have, and I'll read it. Why don't I give you something, and you read it? Give them a book. Um, there's one by Ron Rhodes uh, on, on uh, Muslim theology, and, um, and just just make friends with them. Uh, it is a tough road, though. It, it is. Good question. What else? I know we're going a little over time. Let's see, let's see Rudy and Daniel. absolutely yeah the, the question is uh, if you have a friend who's in a different local body um, and there's only one church in Bakersfield by the way we just happen to meet in a lot of different places and uh, most of them at one degree or another have some tears among the wheat so if somebody is attending if they are gathering with another part of the church the question is well do you still confront them about sin absolutely um, you, you take, take Matthew 18 to them and, and, and talk to them and, and love them and tell them, gee, it's a shame that if you don't listen to me, nobody else is going to come to you. You better listen. Because um, most churches don't, they, don't do, they think church discipline is judgmental. You know, oh, don't judge. You know, so then Daniel had a question. Uh, I always ask this when people throw out technical words, tell me your definition of it and I'll make sure that, uh, that I'm thinking it's the same thing. The right. the and the 1050 or 45 in the New Testament, how do we implement those laws into our lives today? The, the, okay, my explanation of this is always, is always the same. Um, in the Old Testament, how did you come to faith in Christ? No, it's not, not faith in Christ. How did you come to faith in God? How would you do it? On credit. By, I gave the it way. It's by faith, right? I said it right there. You come to God by faith, through repentance, through understanding that you're a sinner in need of God. Um, we're going to look at this uh, later this morning. Uh, the first man that we see doing this actively is Abel who sacrifices to God on a regular basis because he knows he's a sinner. What do you do under, if you're a Jew in the Old Testament, what do you do to express your love for God and express your faith? What do you do? You obey the law. And the law gives you a way to, to um, be right with the Lord on a temporary basis through sacrifices. Sacrifices weren't just about sin dealing with sin. It was also about being part of national Israel, being part of the national blessing of Israel. Um, so let's keep it simple. In the Old Testament, how do you come to God by faith, repenting of sin? How do you express your love for God by obeying the law of Moses? In the New Testament, how do you get saved? by faith now we understand our savior we have more revelation we understand christ um, and you come to faith by repenting of your sin in the old testament they didn't have a name for a messiah yet Um, they didn't know what his name was it was a mystery but ultimately when they got saved the 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 animals that they sacrificed in the old testament was a it was kind of a uh, kind of a hold the door open until the real sacrifice arrives And they were saved on credit, you might say. It was credited to Abraham as righteousness. In the New Testament, when you're saved, how do you express your love for the Lord? If you love me, you do what? Obey my commands. Um, Now, there's quite a debate as to, somebody will say, and this is frankly the the common view in, in the evangelical church, that certain commands from the Old Testament have carried over and been held over into the New I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think the Bible teaches that the Mosaic Covenant came to a complete total close at the cross. It was finished. It had an expiration date. It was done. Wait a minute. Are you saying we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. You do not have to obey Exodus chapter 20. However, in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles together affirmed how many of the commandments? I've told you this before. Nine. Which one did they leave out? Sabbath. Why? Because the Sabbath was the sign to Israel of the Mosaic covenant. Make no sense to, to uh, I- include that. What's the sign we've been given of the new covenant? Hint, hint, hint. That's our sign. We've been given baptism as well. Um, so uh, the Old Testament, if, you, if all you got was a New Testament, it's why I am so against just giving away New Testaments. Give them the Bible. Let them find out how we got here. Eh, you, can, you can get saved. I'm mean, going to give away one verse of Scripture. That's better than nothing. Um, but know that we are not under one single iota of the law of Moses. It tells us uh, God is very consistent. His moral standard is exactly the same now as it was then. Um, it's, it's identical. Uh, as far as treating the law of Christ as it's listed in Galatians 6 as a list of over a thousand rules... you know know the word know the Lord know you have his spirit and as you know the word uh, you're going to be keeping multiple commands all at once um, that that you're going to have many solutions to one problem Um, in other words if I'm loving my wife correctly I'm also obeying the admonition not to be bitter I'm obeying the admonition to forgive I'm obeying the admonition to walk in joy I'm doing all kinds of things all at once if I'm walking in Christ at that moment so that's the beauty of the indwelling of the Spirit is yeah, if, you're, if you're in the zone, if we put it that way, if you're walking with the Lord, you're keeping everything at that moment, which is really good. Now, let's do one more question. I know we're going a little over. Sorry about that. Yes, Francisco. And, well, we'll do two questions. Sorry, it was a tie. That's it. That's it. Uh, and Jesus said it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. That's the whole law. Genius. Yeah. And um would not one of the distinctions be the fact that the New Testament saints are baptized into the body of Christ? Yes. Yeah, that is a good distinction. Um Old Testament saints had they had a sense of individuality, but there were some who were not Jews and yet they were saints, but they weren't included so much as we could say here uh, think of Rahab think of Ruth Um, these are ones who are included in we have such a neat uh, system in the New Testament church being baptized first in the Spirit, which that happens at the moment of salvation, that's not a weird experience that happens to you. The baptism of the Spirit is the fact that you receive the Spirit of God and you are washed and you are included now in the totality of the body of Christ. And there's, there's unity and there's joy. Um, people always say you should strive for unity in the body of Christ. I would say that the true body of Christ is already unified. Um, unity comes from sin it, disunity comes from sin it comes from uh, unbelievers in our midst but true unity I think is already there um, how do you get there with um, uh, knowing the full measure of Christ uh, Ephesians 4 so the baptism uh, as symbolized by water baptism also that, that that brings you in in a way that Old Testament saints I would agree did not experience but they will and we'll talk about that tonight they will all right. Boy, this is fun. That went fast. I'm the only one having fun, probably. You guys are. All right. So do we want to do this again anytime soon? So. Okay. Uh, let's pray, and then you have to eat fast. Sorry. This is like BTI. Thank you, Lord, for these who are here. Thank you for their willingness to, to just love you. And I, I pray for them, Lord. I pray that they would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray you would give us opportunities with the lost. Oh, Lord, that you would open hearts, that every person here would have an opportunity to proclaim with our lips the gospel of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.